And welcome back to the mail room where we interview aspiring entertainment industry professionals. I'm Steven. And I'm Tyler. And today we have on the podcast Keelan Bowers. He is a development and studio operations coordinator at Breakwater Studios. And he's a Temple grad. And he's a Temple grad. So, Tyler. Uh, right before we uh, did this podcast, you came in my room, didn't you? Yes, I did. And you were watching a little documentary. An Oscar-nominated documentary. An Oscar-nominated documentary about the Bowers family. Yes, I was. It was produced by Breakwater Studios. Now we're seeing the picture now, yes. aren't we? Well, to paint the picture a little more, uh-huh. Keelan's brother, Chris Bowers, is a composer on movies such as Green Book. Boom. King Richard. <laughs> Space Jam, A New Legacy. <laughs> yes, uh, just to name a few. So, he is the subject of this documentary and that was nominated for an Oscar. And now Keelan is working at the studio that produced this Oscar-nominated short film. It's a really cool way to get a job, I feel like. It was a cool story just to hear like how he was on this track to become a musician you know, just kind of like his brother, mm-hmm. and ends up in a development role at an emerging studio in Hollywood. Yeah, and he didn't just end up there, he worked for it. Yup. And we're going to hear all about it. Let's let him hear it. Keelan, thank you for coming out today. Thank you for having me. I guess we're all temple made here. Oh shit, you also Go went to temple? Owls, yep. <laughs> oh, what was your major? Uh, media studies and production. Nice, yeah. nice. What year did you graduate? Uh, 2019. Congratulations, yes, congratulations. It was 2018. Oh, nice. Yeah. And then yeah. you moved to LA right after? Yeah, pretty much. Well, I stayed in LA for about a month and a half after I graduated, and so I stayed from May until July because I was working on a um, I was working on a Meek Mill documentary that came out on Amazon Prime, and so that job ended in June, or the end of June, and so literally the next day I picked up everything and left. A Meek Mill documentary? In yeah, Philly? Yeah, in Philly. It was a, a TV series. Um, at the time, I don't remember what the, the official name was, but at the time it was going under the code name Butterfield, which I thought was a <laughs> For Meek Mill? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> But like it was, it was an awesome experience. It was through uh, I was interning at a company that I ended up working for called Dirty Ro- or not Dirty Robber. That was before that. Um, called All Ages in Philly, and All Ages hooked me up with the um, one of the producers on Butterfield, and so that's how I got involved with that. That's pretty. Were you PAing? Yeah, I was PAing. Yeah, so uh, PAing, running, just like the general. If something needed to be carried, I would carry it. If someone needed to be driven around, I would drive them. Um, the executive producer needed to go out to Meek Mill's mom's house to like drop off some gifts or something. So I had to drive him from Philly, like an hour into New Jersey, and then back. And it was just, it was an interesting experience. Did you get but, to meet Meek? Yep, that's the no. question. <laughs> no, no, not at all. Well, Meek Mill, if you're listening. You missed out on You missed out on <laughs> Great person. <laughs> no, that wasn't that wasn't much to miss out on. <laughs> but yeah, it was, a, it was a great experience, definitely. And, and oh, you got it. No, you got it. Say, and now you are doing what? Oh, God. Okay. Um, God, what am I not doing? Jesus Christ. Um, so right now, I am the coordinator for development and studio operations at Breakwater Studios. 
Um, so that means that I directly report to the VP of development. Her name is Whitney Skaggy. And in addition to all the development stuff, I also am responsible for all of studio operations. So that's a lot. <laughs> Do you have to say that a lot to people? That was a, that seemed rehearsed. Oh, yeah, it, was like, it was buttoned up. I, <laughs> it was really well, you good. Know, I just like come in there with that. <laughs> hey, listen, you gotta be ready. Let's go. Uh, no, I just yeah, that's I don't know. <laughs> that's prepared. Awesome. I'm sorry. <laughs> I mean, so what you got coordinator, you got studio operations, right? Yeah. The development and operations, right? Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. which ones which path should we go first? Oh God! I mean, I my favorite path is development. I mean, that's kind of what I wanted to be doing when I was in college. So, um, the, what do you do? What do you do as the development coordinator? Well, I just started, <laughs> so I just got a promotion at the beginning of this year. Uh, so before that, I was studio coordinator for just studio operations, and um, so this year I started doing development stuff because my boss just got a promotion, and so that was kind of you know we took over the slate, and so it was nice. very yeah. We are the first like this is the beginning of the development department at Breakwater because it's a very it's only been around for 10 years so you know we're relatively new but um, we're doing a lot of amazing projects and you know our roster is starting to grow so we do branded and we also do original content which is really amazing and so uh, the kind of <laughs> the responsibility has really been held with Ben who's the CEO of the company and also the main director um, but also you know there's been so much that's been happening as far as uh, the Oscars are concerned um, we have all these films with the New York Times um, we just did a film with the LA Times and so you know as time has gone on it's gotten really busy and it's just too much for one person to handle and so that's why we started the or that's why Breakwater started this development department so essentially <laughs> what you know is happening right now is we're going through the entire slate we're trying to assess you know where are certain projects going to live where are they going to go where are they going be distributed to um and it's just a matter of you know uh doing our research and and continuing on where ben left off that's kind of where we are so breakwater studios right and what are what are they about what do what content do they produce and where like you're talking about putting these content and where are they going to be distributed on the site what types of uh projects are they producing yeah i mean i would say that the the thing about Breakwater is I think, you know, it's been a testament to the power of just great storytelling, which has just been amazing. I mean, um, you know, not to brag on bad numbers, <laughs> like, as my CEO, Ben, if you're listening. <laughs> um, but uh, no, it's just, it's about, you know, being dedicated to the art of storytelling at the end of the day and, and just doing everything in service of who we're documenting, uh, just trying to make sure that their story is the most important thing at the end of the day. Um, you know, I think of one of the projects that we are doing right now, or that we're promoting right now, is the Queen of Basketball, which is about Lucy Harris, who just passed away a couple days ago, which was kind of just a massive. Sh- yeah, she tied at sixty six at like, oh. and there was nothing. Yeah, it was, wow. it was insane. Um, but I just think of the, you know, the types of stories that we tell and, and why we tell them, and it, it that's always at the forefront of every project that comes up, even if it's branded. Like we're doing stuff with Charles Schwab right now, who's one of our clients, and you know, all of the stuff that we do for them, our first a- our first ask is who are the people that we're telling the story for? Charles and Schwab, so, who's Charles Schwab? Charles Schwab, the, the, bank? uh, the banking company. Yeah. Ah, yeah. yeah. Yeah, we have clients with, <laughs> <laughs> well, if you need a 401k or like some tax or I got a Roth IRA with that. Hey, hey. <laughs> So thank you for looking at those commercials. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, but you know, it's it's at the end of the day, it's about storytelling, and so that's what I think Breakwater is all about. So you do what? It sounds like commercials, documentaries, and narrative. 
We do. So yeah. it, let's say it, the past projects of Breakwater Studios have all been non-scripted. Yeah, okay. uh, they, they've all been non-scripted except for one. Uh, there's a film that Ben did when he was first graduating that was, I think, one of the first films that was ever done under Breakwater called George. And the, the entire idea behind George is it's this um, World War One veteran um, that is being interviewed by a historical documentary society in the 1970s, and this was made in like the early 2000s. And so it's all shot to make it look like it's a 1970s documentary, and it mm. looks like it's all archival, but in actuality, it's all narrative, it's all scripted. And so um, in the film, you know, you're watching this uh, this guy, and, and he tells you that he was born in the early 19 early early 1900s. Um, and you know you're going through this story and then halfway through you find out that the guy that you're watching was actually killed in the war and he's like I'm actually an actor portraying the story and it's a whole thing but like it's quite an interesting piece are you yeah. supposed to know that going into it no well, so it's a huge plot twist yeah it's a huge plot twist at the end of the film and kind of <laughs> I, I actually had to watch it twice because once <laughs> you know that you kind of had to go back and look at all the clues that he kind of drops to let you know that it's not a real person or that it was a real person but he's dead but it was just it was quite fascinating that is really cool yeah and you yeah. mentioned this this ben uh, so who who is ben oh ben <laughs> ben proudfoot is the uh is our main director at breakwater and he also started the company and ah. so he is the brain <laughs> the brain masterminder um he was one of the directors on concerto so it was him and my brother that ended up doing concerto um but he's just responsible for everything breakwater essentially so you mentioned concerto i feel like now we gotta dive into it. So, okay. I, so Tyler and I, we just watched. Uh, it's a concerto in conversation. Is that what a concerto is a conversation. A concerto is a conversation. Yes. Behind, right before, right before you came, we watched it. Oh gosh, literally right before. Yeah. <laughs> oh god. Keep it fresh. <laughs> okay. Yeah. We watched it. It's Oscar-nominated short film by Breakwater Studio. Documentary yeah. short subject. I believe that's the category. It is. I, I thought it was captivating. I enjoyed learning about the story yeah. and. It's about your family. <laughs> yes, it is. <laughs> yeah. So I guess this is where we might tie it all together that you joined the company, Breakwater Studios, that made a short film about your family that yes. got nominated for an Oscar. Yes, it's a very <laughs> wild fucking story. <laughs> like, it makes the story makes no sense. Like it's just one of the wildest like if you were going to tell me two years ago that this is the position that I would be in it would kind of just look at you like you were crazy because like it just it was not in the cards um and so yeah I mean I guess there was so 2019 uh, my brother was doing a a project for the LA Philharmonic and that project was going to be documented by Ben Proudfoot and so they were working together um there was this whole like it was a year of just hearing about this movie about hearing about this movie um, and, you know, my brother's, he's went to Juilliard. Um, he won the Thelonious Monk competition. Um, he's done uh, co projects with Elaine Stritch for composing um, with, gosh, he just did King Richard. Um, he just did Respect uh, for the Aretha Franklin film. Mm -hmm. um, my brother is always doing something he's insane. A, it's so a, like He's a full-time composer for very big movies. Oh, yeah. yeah. Oh, wow. He did Space Jam 2. Uh, he's Sick. always just like... Did yeah. we mention Green Book? Yeah, he did Green Book. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, my God. That Bridgerton? Was like, yeah, Bridgerton. Yeah, yeah like... This you always, name it. When they, they see Chris us. Chris Bowers. Right? When they see us. Yes, yes, yes. <laughs> I... Yeah, there are... He is like just... Wow. Yeah. 
Um, and that's and so, your brother. That's my brother. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> it's a lot to live up to, to be honest. Um, what was I going to say? So they were doing this film, and my grandfather uh, was being recognized by the city. And so he's had this cleaners for, it's been in my family for, I think, about 60 years. Um, and so the city was recognizing, you know, all the, the work that he, he's done for the neighborhood and just with this complex. And so the story goes... My brother wore a tux. He, he wore like a suit to the event. And so he goes from the event to talking to Ben, um, I think in person about the, the interview or whatever. And Ben is like, why were you so dressed up? And so ben, my brother tells Ben about, you know, my grandfather and the story. And Ben was like, okay, this is what the story is about. We need to learn more about this. And so that's where the film kind of transitioned into being about my grandfather and my brother and this conversation between the two of them. And so, yeah, uh, they ended up filming in February of 2020. Uh, that's when the event happened, the the actual concerto that happened February 2020, and then a month later, COVID yep, happened. Yep, we know what happened. Yeah, yeah, wow. yeah, it was crazy. Um, and so, I mean, I remember everything was locked down, and I just remember saying this, like, weird scrawny looking white guy like walking up to the front of my house like asking my parents for archival material for my brother and like that ended up being my boss now <laughs> so, no way that yeah, was Ben that was Ben wow. that was Ben yeah I came downstairs and I was like who was that man and my dad was like that's Ben Proudfoot and I was like oh that's wild and so yeah I ended up at the time I was working at Warner Brothers and COVID happened and um, I was working in the tour department and so I was working with tours and live shows so you so, did the Warner Brothers studio tours yes Yes, the Warner Brothers Studio Tours, which I highly... That's why I get my customer service. Because <laughs> I every day, I go, Warner Brothers Studio Tour Hollywood, my name is Keelan, how can I help you? That is... Oh, Whoa. yeah, I was, like, in it. Whoa. But, yeah. Um, yeah, I did the studio tours. It was an interesting experience. I mean, honestly, it's one of the best jobs to have once you're coming in, um, because they just put you on the studio lot and let you drive a cart around all day. So it's yeah, like... Yeah, sounds pretty cool. Yeah, it's it's... <laughs> It's hard, don't get me wrong. I mean, you know, it's hot. You have to talk to people all day. But, like, at the end of the day, you're on the studio a lot and, like, walking around sets and getting to meet all these people. And so it's a very interesting experience. Here's where the Spider-Man kissed happened, right? Is that what <laughs> yes. you'd say? Yes, <laughs> among other things. I could talk about more than just the Spider-Man kiss. But, yes, I, that, I mean, it just... That was probably one of my favorite experiences uh, as far as working because it just didn't really feel like work. It kind of just felt like I was having fun all the you time. You loved it. So yeah. so uh, yeah. how long did you work at Warner Brothers? It was almost uh, two and a half years. So I started in 2018. Mm -hmm. And then in an, or I started in September of 2018. I started every single freaking job I've had. I, you know... I started as a seasonal clerk floater that I was just supposed to be there for a Halloween event. Ended up going from the floater to the part-time position, then went from the part-time position to the full-time position, then went from full-time position to elite position in, in the span of two and a half years. And so it was kind of just like, I was working my ass off. Like, I COVID put such a fucking like, rip in my plans because I just, you know, at a certain point, I, I kind of had this plan of, I was on the show for the real, and I, I knew one of the writers for the show, and um, she had actually gone from the tour department to a writer for mom. And so I knew that the jump was possible to get into the writer's room, which I know sounds wild. And what, what's mom? Is mom... Mom is a sitcom by Chuck Lorre. Anna Ferris. Yeah, that, yeah, that yeah, one, yeah, yeah. on yeah. CBS with Allison Janney. I'm pretty sure it was on CBS. Yeah. yeah, it's not on anymore, but mm -hmm. it was one of my favorite shows at the time. I mean, oh. just freaking 
funny as hell. So just, you were you were looking up this person. You're like, yeah, like this oh is, yeah, this I is possible. Like, this I was like, is... sis, got me in there. Yeah. I was like, let's go. She was also black. I was like, hey, hey listen, hey, hey you gotta use your connections when you can. Um, but I, yeah. So COVID happened, and it kind of just like I, I mean, I lost my job. Um, you I, lost the studio tour job. Yeah. Yeah, I lost my job. I spent about three months looking for new work. I ended up working for um, a, an executive producer for a commercial agency, but um, it was a, a commission position, and so I couldn't get, yeah, <laughs> that face. It's I've that. never heard of that. So, okay. So basically, the way it worked was um, he would get decks from all of these clients for different um, different. Uh, brands. So let's say we get a deck from um, Cheez-Its. And so I'll take the deck and I'll look at it and I'll look at all the directors that we have on our roster and then I'll send three or four different recommendations for who I think could do the commercial based on the deck, pull some like work, um, try to figure out, you know, what is the best pieces of work that reflects what I basically put a reel together for the director Um, and then send that off to the sales rep, sales reps, the sales reps give it to the brand, and then you know, three four weeks later, we find out if we got the commercial or not. If we booked the commercial, then I would get paid. If we didn't book the commercial, then I wouldn't get paid. And I mean, we were doing at least like five or six of these a day, and so it was just like nonstop, every single minute, just insanity. But um, as in this, you were an assistant. As an associate producer. Associate producer. So, but he didn't have an assistant. So, so I also was. So assistant. you were an assistant and a. Yeah. 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 And did you make money? Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I did, and I I got a check. <laughs> I did make some money. Okay. Um, yeah, but it was. Well, I mean, it was. Tough. Oh, oh God! It was. Uh, that was November, December, um, January, February, March. Five months, no check, and I like literally we didn't book a commercial until. February and I didn't get paid for that commercial until June and so it was just insanity. So you were there for five months or things didn't happen? Yeah, no, I was working with him for five months and so. And then you were just like. And so then um, simultaneously to this, uh, so November, December happens. I'm working. I'm miserable. You know, I'm having mental breakdowns every day. I'm getting calls at like. He's in a, a whole different country. I mean, like the first day I met him, he was like, okay, I'm going to Brazil for like six weeks at a time. And so I was like, oh, okay. Um, and so, you know, he was calling me at all hours of the night and sending me emails at all hours of the night and saying everything was urgent and, you know, mm-hmm. Christmas season was happening and it was the holidays and I was literally working on Christmas. Oh, and so no. I was fucking miserable. Yeah. And yeah. And so the, uh, the announcement gets made that Concerto is a conversation is has made the, sh- the not the shortlist, has, uh, what's, before the shortlist, no, it's the shortlist. Yeah, yes. Yeah. Okay, yes. Shortlist. The shortlist came out. Yes. So the Oscar shortlist came out, and Concerto was on the Oscar shortlist, and I was flipping the fuck out. I mean, mm-hmm. we were all flipping the fuck out. I mean, it was just like, oh my God, like, I can't believe this is happening. Um, and, and do you know, remember how long the shortlist is? Like, how many? So the shortlist, oh, how many are on the list? Mm-hmm. So I think it's about 10 to 15 that okay. are on the list. I know the one this year has more films, or it has less films than normal, because not a lot of films were getting made because of COVID. Oh, COVID. I know, I know. At, but... the, at the mailroom, we are not a fan of COVID. <laughs> No, I don't think anyone is, to be perfectly honest. But, um... Find me somebody who's a fan of COVID. Hey! I'm sure COVID is a fan of COVID. <laughs> like, I think COVID likes yeah, itself. COVID. Yeah. He looks in the mirror, like... 
Um, but so concerto gets shortlisted and um, I get a call from my brother and is like, you know, do you want to work on an Oscar campaign? And I was like, fuck yeah, I want to work on an Oscar campaign. And so the conversation was, you know, we have to wait to see what happens to see if it actually goes through. But like, just just stand by. So we go through the thing. February or January happens. They vote at the end of January. And so voting season, or voting is, I think, happening right now. No, it happens next week. Um, so voting happens. The film gets nominated officially. And so then it was like crunch time at that point. So... I had a conversation with Ben and I had a conversation with Whitney and I was like, you know, whatever you need, I'm available to help. Um, I, they didn't really have anything for me to do. And so the only thing that I could do was uh, they were trying to call cleaners, dry cleaners to put posters up for the film because we were, I mean, we were working with chewing gum and like toothpicks to try to put a campaign together. I mean. Facebook for Colette, I think their budget was like a million dollars. And like, we weren't even working with a quarter of that. So it was like very much like we wow. were, yeah. Um, Bare bones. Very, I was boots on the ground. <laughs> like, that was, putting posters yeah. in the trenches. I know, putting posters up like, like, all over like, Los Angeles. It's like a middle school fundraiser. Very much. Like, this is an Oscar <laughs> short north. Honestly, <laughs> I'm surprised you wouldn't like do a bake sale or something. Just, um, and so, yeah, I mean, I, so, I got that offer to do the calling, and the second, you know, they said that they were going to pay me, I ended up calling my boss for the the executive producer, and I was like, I gotta go. And so, yeah, I ended up, you know, boots on the ground, putting up posters, driving all over the place. I made a whole, like, spreadsheet tracking system to try to figure out, you know, which places we could contact, which places we were interested, which places weren't interested. Um, I ended up getting extra people on my, I had a team you could say so I had two people come on board to help me do deliveries so I was already like work in the system and by the time the campaign wrapped um Ben came to me and was like you know do you want a job and I was like fuck yeah I want a job <laughs> like and he was like we don't really have anything for you to do and so there was a studio assistant position um originally it was a part-time position and it was just runner for the studio and he was like do you want to do that and I said sure how much does it pay and it paid more than nothing <laughs> so i was like okay and that's how i got involved with breakwater and that was about almost a year ago today so, so when that happened did you have any thoughts like i'm going to join this company and try to get myself into the development side of things i no no i when i first started you know i had a very honest conversation with ben that i didn't want to be in documentary i never wanted to be in documentary and so i was like you know i'll do this um, but I really want to be a narrative. And Ben Ben is very good at seeing the potential in people and convincing you to, to stay on board and like be mm -hmm. involved in things that you didn't think that you would otherwise do. And, you know, I just it got to the point where he just convinced me to to do documentary. And so, you know, I've been very lucky that our company is very um on the cutting edge of things and so it satiates my narrative you know heart you know um but yeah i what was the question well i i was just <laughs> i was just talking like did you have the thoughts to get into development when you joined ah no for the, yeah. no it i had a conversation with ben but it wasn't like a, a real like it was more like you know wishes and fantasies like i thought i was right. gonna be a breakwater and then i would end up leaving i never thought mm -hmm. i would be coordinator for development i was actually in conversation 
with a whole different company doing an interview for a development position. Wow. And so, yeah. So it was it, on your mind. It was, it was on it was my mind. But you didn't oh, really think it was, not that it wasn't possible, but you didn't think it was the logical next step. No, term, yeah. not at all. Because, I mean, I was in, I, I feel like when you're in this position, as far as, you, you know, you just graduated, um, you have your internships, your, your PA gigs, um, and you kind of expect there to be some kind of, I don't know, opportunity, <laughs> like a progression that would make sense, but there's not. And no. so you get to LA and it's kind of just like everyone fends for them fucking selves. And, um, you know, you could have been a PA for 20 years and you're still looking for a PA gig. Like <laughs> it's, it's in fucking same. Um, so I was very lucky to get the Warner brothers job and I, I, I was very lucky to, to find the positions that I did. Um, but in all the application processes, there was so many times where it was like, am I qualified for this? You know, I know mm. I can do the job, but like, is this something that I can actually do? Because like, I feel like the, the entire system is structured on you not being able to believe in yourself. And so, yeah. And, what, and why do you think that is? Like, what, what, what was some Oh, thoughts? so people can get cheap assistance. Mm. Like, I, I think, you know, a lot of the industry is based around treating people like shit. Mm-hmm. And it's been that way for a very long time. And I think part of that goes with the pay that people are paid for mm-hmm. doing the amount of work. I mean, you know, I there should never be a situation where an executive producer fires their assistant and then hires someone else to do two jobs. Like, that isn't fucking sane. And that's abusing your workers. And so, but it's normal in the industry. And right. so, you know, if I was giving advice to anybody, I'd be like, be careful with what you fucking sign up for and be careful with your time. <laughs> but also, you know, it's, it's hard and I think to be able to change it, it's like the old guard has to die or something at this point. Because, yeah, it's insane. So it, it seems like you, you took this job for a, a number of reasons. Number one, because it was such a great, you know, they made such a great documentary about your yeah. family. Yeah. But like, what was like the, what was the, I guess, like main reason you wanted to work for this company? Was it because it was the only opportunity? one of the opportunities you had or like what? I mean it was a combination of things yeah. it was you know the, one of the only opportunities I had so I you know I while Amazing Breakwater is it definitely wasn't a situation where I was like jumping at the, <laughs> the okay. you know foaming at the mouth to get to a documentary because I you know I wanted to be inscripted I wanted to be mm-hmm. uh, doing narrative and so um, I was very very lucky that I I was able to find simpatico with Breakwater in our storytelling and you know Finding that connection has kind of been um, amazing, um, but yeah, I, I think there there's a there was a level of bond with the films that we were making, um, a need to have a job, and um, the paycheck was really nice. And then so. it turned into something that what you never imagined, right? Oh my, yeah. I yeah I yeah I mean to have been I was. I was going for a development assistant position a year ago. And so to be a coordinator, which is above where I would have been, is insane. So, yeah, yeah. And how many people are at this company? We have about 15 employees. Wow, so that's very small, tight-knit. Oh, yeah, yeah. I mean, everything is... One of the things that Ben has been very... um, I mean, shit, this is the Ben Proudfoot podcast. (laughs) (laughs) Um, One of the things that Ben has been very, like, vocal about is keeping everything in-house. And so... You know, our colorist is in-house, our sound mixing is in-house, our producers are in-house, our editors are in-house. Um, so all part of the 15? All part of the 15. Oh, my God. Yes, 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 yes. There's wow. literally, so each, essentially there's like one to two people per department. Mm-hmm. So our post department is, I think, about five people. That's our largest department. Our producers, we have about two of them, two to three of them, depending on the, the time of year. 
um, archives, that's usually a freelance position. We have one person in cameras, uh, one person in sound, one person in color, um, and then everyone else kind of helps facilitate operations and development papering and things like that. So when you initially said that you were doubling as, you know, an, like a development like and operations, right. that's possible because it's a tight-knit company. That's kind of what makes it amazing is that everyone right. is in the dirt. Everyone is like, you know, or in the trenches, I think is the term. And you kind of feel this camaraderie with everyone at the company. I mean, from bottom to the top, we're all in every screening for every cut. Um, everyone has an opinion on every film that we do, from the sound to the color to just essentially everything. Um, and so there's a it's a team that helps put the film together, which is really nice. Uh, I so while you were telling your story, I was wondering. You had said Ben came up to you and was like, I, "I he convinced you to do documentaries." Yeah. So I would love to know what are or in what ways. Did you find yourself going to documentaries? What were some of the things that he led you on this path? Well, I think, honestly, it wasn't Ben that, I mean, Ben was like, is really good at convincing, but Whitney, um, my my current boss, had done this film called The Beauty President. And it it had an amazing film festival run, and it's about um, a drag queen in the 1990s that ran for president against Bill Clinton. And it, she was the only drag queen that did it at the time. She's been the only drag queen to have done it since. Mm-hmm. And no one knows her name. And it, her name is Joan Jet Black. And so, um, and the the person behind that persona, his name is Terrence. And it's just an incredible film. And it's, it's funny. It's depressing. It's about AIDS and the AIDS pandemic at the time. And, um, you know, there's, there's so many layers to the story. And as a queer person, I kind of felt called to. And mm-hmm. so... Um, and that's, you know, when I talk about connections and, and feeling the power of storytelling, that was one of those films that I watched and I was like, oh, holy fuck, <laughs> I have to work at this company. And so, you know, it's a combination of the craft meets the, um, the aspiration of what's possible um, that I think really kind of just was the final nail in the coffin. Mm. I, I, I can I'm understand sorry. that. Okay. No, yes, the table, right? <laughs> I can... <laughs> Uh, understand that in a way though because I feel like narrative like there's a there's a set of rules that it has to follow in a way and with non-scripted it's kind of like well I guess with narrative you're you're putting the story together before you even start filming it yeah. with non-scripted you're kind of making it along the way and like I guess there is like some adventure in like finding the story rather than inventing it from the beginning and, oh, like, totally. and, and you can do so much more creativity with that is do you see that a lot oh my god breakwater yeah is this what i said is that something that like you you really believe as well or no yeah i totally believe that i mean you know and you're totally right i think there is a a level of structure that goes into um the pre-production and of a a narrative project and i think that in uh, a documentary project the story is really found in the edit Mm -hmm. um you know one of the things that happens in a breakwater project is um, going in cold and so every interview is done kind of without as with as minimal preparation as possible that's the breakwater way that's kind of the breakwater way it's just you kind of go into it cold not really knowing the person actually that's the Brent Proudfoot way and so that way you kind of get to know the person know their story Mm -hmm. but everything feels very natural everything kind of feels very you know 
Um, got to take some of these lessons. For yeah, I was going to say, we're, we've been trying to do a little bit of that. We had that conversation the other day, yeah, kind of yeah. not doing our research beforehand just to make it as natural as possible. Yeah, totally. Yeah. And I think for you, you we, did of, we did a lot of We did a lot of research. We did a lot of got to get that out there. Um, but I think there's a lot of that that is, um, you know, that's where the magic is found. That's where the magic happens. And so, you know, there's a, Ben does a, a nine, ten hour interview, and then that gets edited into every iteration you can imagine, into every different film you can imagine and that's part of why the team screenings are so important because you have these 15 voices these 15 people that work at the company and I mean we all sit down and watch the film give notes uh, talk about what's working talk about what's not working talk about the emotional heart what is this film really about um, and the reason why you know a breakwater project comes out the way it does is because there were 15 people that you know were in charge of making sure that this is the best version that we can make sure wow. is possible I mean how cool is that to be now on the team that your family's documentary was screened to just a year before. Yeah, I mean, it's it's very insane. Yeah. It's, it's very surreal. It's so cool. It's and, very cool. And with that, I have to imagine, like, so you're joining this, uh, this company, Breakwater Studios, after or almost as it got nominated for an Oscar. Mm-hmm. I'd imagine that, like, maybe the everyday person might not know Breakwater Studios, but people in the documentary area of the industry might know oh breakwater this is a breakwater project like Mm -hmm. i expect this i've seen a lot of them they're oscar nominated they got a name so what uh i guess i'm imagine the company's growing a lot so what are you uh noticing at the company that is like kind of like go you're you're it's very pivotal time so it is it is what are some of those changes that you're noticing and is it exciting is it it's exciting but it's stressful mm-hmm. it's exciting but stressful um we have a lot of you know we're shortlisted right now for the queen of basketball which is really exciting Whoa. um yes 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 wait so and this is the, uh, the queen of basketball was the so the queen one that you were talking no, about? no 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 no. that's the beauty president so ah. the queen of basketball <laughs> is about the basketball player her name is lucy harris um she went to dsu and she led her team to national championship three times in a row. Um, unheard of at the time for women's basketball. She was at the forefront of women's basketball. And is this uh, WNBA? Th- before the WNBA was even a thought, she oh. was like she was so good that she was drafted by the NBA. Wait, when do these Oscar nominations come out? What's the day? So don't they come out like? Like, is it a minute? Is it, is it? No, no, no. So the, the voting happens. The voting starts, I think, uh, January 27th. And okay. I actually have the dates on my phone. Uh, starts January 27th, and then it goes until, I believe, January 31st or February 1st. I'm not sure which one. Well, then, by the time this episode is released, we will know if the Queen of Basketball is nominated for an oh Oscar. Oh, God, knock on all of the wood. <laughs> we usually like to, don't like to let the listeners know uh, when we record these episodes, but... Ah, but uh, uh that's, this is cool. I would say, right? A little dramatic irony. It's, it's very like, dramatic. I mean, I'm nervous. Let's manifest. <laughs> it happened. It happened. Yeah. It happened. It, Congratulations. It happened. Oh my Congrats. god! Thank you so much. It has been such a journey to get here. Um, the team has been amazing. No, yes. So if the Queen of Basketball go like there you go, the Queen of Basketball will you be at the Oscars? No. Oh, oh god, no. No, no, no. They don't no. take all fifteen. No, they don't take all fifteen. Oh. So what do you have to do to get there? What do I have to do to get there? Um, Mary have been proud of <laughs> That's what I would have to do to get there. No, they get a, a plus one, and um, I think that's because COVID. I think last year they only got plus ones. My brother and Ben and their partners went. Um, and so the, yeah, 
I don't. So, but not just for the Queen of Basketball. Let's say Breakwater makes uh, something, gets nominated. What do you have to do to be one of the people that go to the Oscars for that project? You have to give a lot of money. <laughs> um, or you're one of the executive producers. Okay. Um, so I think the, the directors and the executive producers are typically the ones that go and go on stage. Um, but because of COVID, it's kind of a, a weird situation that, you know, um, the, for this one, or for the past one, the executive producer did not go, or the executive producers did not go, I should say. Um, but yeah, that would typically be, you know. All right, so another question. What do you have to do to become an executive producer on a breakwater project, or just a producer? Can can you be that just by finding oh, the project? Yeah, like, can you, you be that now? Do is it five years from now? Total, well, the the thing about breakwater is it's a very unique place because everything is in house. Mm-hmm. So our producers are literally salary employees, and so you know the producers they get a a list of breakwater projects, and then they divide those projects into different like uh, different pro- or different producers will take leads on different projects, and uh, so we don't really work with a lot of freelance producers, but. Funny enough, we do have a producer position open right now. Mm-hmm. And so when there are producer opportunities available, you know, they're definitely a, an amazing opportunity. Um, but we do sometimes work with freelance. It just depends on the project. But I, I would say the best way to get, you know, involved with the Breakwater project is to work at Breakwater. So your goals from now being this coordinator position, is it to move up to this producer position in Breakwater? Is it to go somewhere else, go back to your dreams of doing narrative one day? Where do you see yourself? I see myself at narrative. I, I see myself definitely doing narrative. Um, I hope that one day Ben sees the light <laughs> of narrative and that that's a, <laughs> you know, a viable field of storytelling and that there's just as much interesting content that you can make in narrative that you can make in documentary. So you really like this company? Oh my god, I love Breakwater. If, I mean, if Breakwater had to, if one day mixes this narrative with non-scripted, you'll be in heaven. Oh, I, yeah. You'll be at the forefront. <laughs> I would be, we would right. be cutting edge. I mean, there, there's a lot of exciting opportunities that lay within, you know, this kind of um, weird biopic hybrid territory that I think hasn't really been explored fully, especially for a short narrative or for a short feature or for, you know, a short subject. Um, but yeah, I, I would be very happy if that was the case, but I can neither confirm nor deny that that is the case. Uh, this might be too much of a question, mm-hmm. um, so feel free not to answer it, but I, like right now, the movie industry in general, like the whole industry, is struggling. Uh, people aren't going to theaters, people are applying to streaming services, uh, it's not as, what's the word? It's not thriving. It's not thriving as much as it used to. So how does a company like Breakwater, where do they get their money from? (laughs) (laughs) Um, Let's not talk, let's not say Breakwater specifically, but like how do non-scripted shorts or films make money? Oh no, it's a very valid question. Uh, And I think, you know, there's, there's no secret behind, you can go online to any, um, you know, publicly traded company and find financial records of, mm-hmm. you know, how they make money. Um, so a company like, you know, Warner Brothers or uh, NBC Universal or um, Disney, since they're all publicly traded, you can go online and figure out where they make their money from as far as streaming revenue, um, subscriptions, all that kind of stuff. Um, found out that <laughs> by working at Breakwater. <laughs> but um, very helpful information when you're looking in development because you can kind of see, 
you know, if you're trying to do a project with Disney and you know that Disney is mainly doing everything through subscriptions, you know, okay, so we need a project that is based on premium cable um, that can kind of go for whatever content they're putting out right now that's through the subscription service, not so much on ABC Signature because they're probably not going to look for, you know, uh, they're probably looking more for a Hawkeye, not a Modern Family. Mm. Um, that being said, for, you know, um, for us, I think a lot of our money comes from having those branded projects. They're really helpful in that and having, you know, clients like Charles Schwab and like Amazon and... Um, the Like those commercials or like documentaries oh, totally. on these companies. Yeah. Type of thing. yeah. So and not that they own the company, but it's more so about, you know, doing these projects and so we can fund um, our other projects as well because mm. we have... I don't know if I'm allowed to say that. Then don't say it. Okay. Um... <laughs> Uh, yeah, so some our, our commercial projects fund our original projects, which is very helpful. Nice. Yeah. And sometimes you'll sell projects to a Netflix or yes. something like yeah. that. Yeah, so that's what I was going to say. Hypothetically. Back-end revenue. <laughs> Back-end revenue is a thing okay. that does happen for yeah. distribution um, and or licensing. So we have... Uh, Hypothetically, <laughs> if we were to do a project um, that was going to be licensed, um, that would be you know done on the back end after the project was made. But we'd have to find a partner to you know sell that to, and it's a whole thing. So is there a chance you make something and it just does not get bought by anybody? Oh, yes. <laughs> oh my god! Have all you the been, time. Have you been there? Oh, that happens a lot. I, it will not that it happens a lot, but it definitely happens. Wow! I mean, there, and, you, and you've seen it happen. Yeah. Oh yeah. Oh, I mean, wow. we there. Are Yes, there there are projects that you know get made and are get put on hold all the time, and, and then it's a matter of you know my job is to go in and look at those films with a new eye and um, you know talk to the editor, talk to um, the director, and kind of figure out okay where can this live, mm. um, you know who can we give this to as far as um, is it going to Netflix, is it going to AMC, is it going to a brand even, um, and you know that's I mean some of these projects, one of the projects right now that's shortlisted is called Coded, uh, the Elsie Lindecker story. And, I mean, it's like a brand wrapped in a brand. It's like, you know, there's the animated feature, but then it's bookended in a commercial, and then the whole thing is packaged by MTV. It's a very confusing, you know, amalgamation of companies. Mm. But, yeah. So That is so interesting. Hey, I am learning about this world. So, <laughs> what informs your decision making? Like, at a point like that, like, there's a project that doesn't, you know, see the light of day, and you have to come in with this new lens and talk to the director and the editor. What, like, what is informing your decision making to say, like, oh, this should go to Netflix, or we should continue moving forward with the story? Like, where? where totally. Does that come from? I mean, I think a lot of it is um, it, there. There are three things, um, and one of them is the reason why I love Breakwater so much. And so, you know, the first thing is knowing what companies want. So looking at slates, kind of looking at what projects have been announced, trying to almost be a savant of everything going on in the industry and, you know, reading the trades, trying to just keep up with what's happening and also watching the news and, and knowing what stories are, especially when you're working a documentary, it's about knowing what are the most interesting stories, what stories are trending, what stories are buzzing and what can we possibly make a movie about. Mm. Um, I would say the second thing that's really important would be having a lot of trust and that's one of the reasons why I love Breakwater so much is because I've never felt so trusted at a company before to make the kind of decisions that I'm making. Um, there's a lot of, you know, um, and not just trust 
with your coworkers or your colleagues, but I mean, trust in yourself as well. Because when you're saying these things, we're talking about like, you know, a half a million to a million dollars. And I'm supposed to be pitching this to you. So I better fucking know what I'm going to say. Yeah. Otherwise, I'm not going to sound, you know, pretty convincing that this is where we need to take this project. Um, and so, you know, it's a matter of being able to be confident in who you are and your voice, um, being able to be confident in that you know what shit you're talking about and being confident that your taste matches who, you know, you're working for. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's yeah. a cool job. It's a did you, cool job. <laughs> like, did you ever cool think, you, did you think you would ever do something like this? Hell no. Like, what? I would never <laughs> no. think. Yeah, no. So I, I, th- I think it's important to touch on, uh, at one point during this interview, you said, um, you oh, got to use your connections. Oh, yeah. So yeah. I think we got to touch on the irony here that, that you worked at Warner Brothers. You worked at uh, this commercial company with yeah. it based on commission. And <laughs> yes. only now have you Oop. finally... Is everything okay? Yeah, it's I just slow. pulled something out somewhere. Oh, it's just your headphone. You should be good. Uh, okay, there we go. Yeah. Technical difficulties. <laughs> Sorry. So you, you... Right. So only now... Do you uh, use your brother's connection of, of his composership in the industry to land a job? So what was going through your head uh, when you decided to work at Warner Brothers, you decided to work for these other companies to finally uh, help? Or Why, why did yes, this happen, yes, essentially? Or, yes, why I did mean, it take so long? Yeah, what took so long? God. Chris, I mean, I mean, also just to touch on it, like your brother's composed for what seems like Ava DuVernay, Sean uh, Rimes, yes. uh, Peter Farrelly, yes. uh, um, Justin Simeon. Mm-hmm. Yes, yes, yes. <laughs> yeah, no, incredible, incredible, incredible people. Yeah, I mean, it's always um, been twofold. I mean, a part of me has never wanted to use my brother's connections for anything. Mm-hmm. Um, my first internship at a college or in college. Um, my sophomore year, I worked for Dirty Robber. That was my first internship. And I got that job through my brother. Mm. And it was, you know, it was an amazing experience. It's an amazing company. And, wh- and what's the age difference? How old? Seven, seven and a half years. Okay. So he is seven, he's seven years older than me. Um, so he's right now in 30, he's turning 33 in April. Um, sad that I have to like, well, how old is he? <laughs> um, but yeah, and so there's, there's quite a few years in between us, but... Um, and that's that's the other thing that kind of is that you go into this in um, is you kind of you go into this uh, company and someone is giving you a job and now you're permanently someone so is a little sibling and so it's just mm. that that becomes you know who you are for however long so you know from the time that I started to the six weeks that I interned for. I was Chris's little brother. And like that was, you know, every meeting, if we were in a meeting with a client, I was introduced as Chris's little brother. Yeah. And so that was, yeah. And so, you know. So that, that really tainted your experience. Oh my God. Yeah. Because that's the antithesis of everything that I've ever wanted to do. Because I've always wanted to, you know, seeing what my brother's accomplished, I always wanted to kind of put my own, yeah. And, and force yourself. my own. Yeah. And yeah. Be Pave your own path. Yes. Yeah, exactly. I mean. Uh, my brother and I, we had, a, my parents had a, a plan 
So like, there was quite literally every single day of my life was on an agenda. I mean, it seemed like that in, in the short <laughs> documentary that we watched. Uh, it, your they, oh, your yeah. brother says <laughs> yes. that my parents planned for me to play the piano before I was even born. Exactly. And exactly. Uh, they did a great job. I mean, oh, yeah. no, they did a fantastic job. Yeah, I just I I had a similar plan. I just did not happen to follow that plan. <laughs> and so that kind of, I mean, that's, you know, that's its own story in itself. Um, but I was supposed to play saxophone. And so the first, you know, all 12 years of, of school into college, I was doing saxophone. I was a music major when I got to college. Um, and so switching to media was not something I was supposed to do. It wasn't in the plan. And so everything that I've done has kind of had this like air of I need to do this for myself I need to prove this to myself that I can do this without using anyone's connections that you know I am a self-made person that being said it is also very helpful (laughs) to have you know a sibling that is very well connected um but I you know so I went through the Warner Brothers thing kind of avoided you know that connections path and even in the conversations with Breakwater, even in the conversations with Ben, that was one of the things. He, he was like, do you want to take this job? I was like, well, you know, this is I, my brother. I feel really weird about this. And he was like, Keelan, I'm not hiring you because of who your brother is. I'm hiring you because you did a great job on this project. And so that kind of was like, you know, a very cathartic, um, it, it was good for my self-esteem, mm-hmm. I'll say. Um, and so, yeah, I, I would say that my connections have definitely helped get to when you, you when you can use your connections, use them wherever you can. But I would also say you better be fucking ready when you use them, because if you use your connections and that person, you end up doing a shit job or, or making, you know, a bad impression on someone, you know, that is forever tainted that connection. Mm-hmm. And so I, I, so I guess it, like it would be a little odd to say you graduated college and your brother's like, hey. Ava DuVernay, like, yeah, I have someone who could be your assistant, and, yeah. like, you wouldn't be ready for something like no, that. No, not at all. I mean, I, to, to the person I have to be today, to versus the person I was when I came out of college, I am a very different person. Mm. And so, you know, I had to be able to get the confidence in myself. I had to be able to go through, you know, being able to talk to people, and being, I was a very awkward, you know, socially anxious person, and then... I was hired to talk to people every day for eight hours a day. Well, now you're on a podcast. And now I'm on a podcast, <laughs> indeed. And so, you know, there are these skills that you have to be able to develop. And I was not ready. I, I was not fully developed when I graduated. Mm-hmm. And so now I, I know I'm not fully developed as far as, you know, my brain. Because <laughs> sometimes I do shit and I'm like, why did I do that? <laughs> um, Don't we all. You know, yeah. Uh, hell, especially during COVID. Jesus Christ. There are so many times where I'm like, I walk out my house and just, Anyways, <laughs> you're doing great here. <laughs> thank you, thank you. Uh, but God, what was the question? Yeah, we gotta go get a rewind. A rewind. <laughs> um, I I think we we're, did I even ask anything? <laughs> we were just talking about connections and yeah. you oh, not yeah. trying to use. Like, yes. You you use your connection in a way that allowed you right. to also feel good about getting the job, yeah, but, but not feel like you were using. <laughs> Your brother entirely. Yes, thank you for yes. yes. <laughs> We're is, back. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, how like do you talk to your brother about like what's going on with the company now? Does he have any interest in like what they're making at all? I I mean we talk, um, but not really as far as like you know I, what's happening with the company as far as anything he's involved with. It's more so just like me complaining. <laughs> <laughs> I, mean, I mean now he's got his own things. 
doing? Yeah, he has a child on the way. Oh, wow. Oh, yeah. I mean, he is fully starting a family. He's still composing. I mean, this man is like the hardest working person I know. He's fully insane. Do you guys ever have jam sessions together? Like When I was a kid. (laughs) I, my, yeah, when I was a kid, we would, I would play saxophone and he would play piano. One of the first reasons I ended up playing saxophone is because I ended up finding one under my bed and he taught me how to play a couple notes and my parents came home and I was playing saxophone and my dad was like, this is it. This, <laughs> this is the thing. Um, and oh, so, so it wasn't before you were born. No, we, no, oh, okay. I was. Bo- I was very. You found a saxophone under your bed. It was my brother's old. It was oh, somebody's yeah, it was old saxophone, under. and it, yeah. yeah, it had been pushed under, and so that that ended up being my my life for the next ten years. Um, but yeah, no, I was a very confusing child for my parents. I ended up doing. Um, I did. They started me off on piano. That did not work because I didn't have the patience. Um, then I went to guitar, then I did tap, then I did drawing, and then finally I did saxophone. And that was kind of the one that stuck. So. And now you're doing development. And now I'm doing development, <laughs> yeah. And yeah. your happiest? I, yeah, yeah, I am my happiest. I, you know, I am trying to, I have this conversation with my roommate all the time, and, you know, it's about appreciating the joy of things, but also being okay with just being fine. And so I think most days... I'm very nervous and I'm very exhausted, but I'm fine. And a lot of days, I fucking love my job. Mm-hmm. But there are also days where, like, you know, I get a hundred emails and I'm like, "Fucking kill me now." Mm-hmm. <laughs> so yeah. Yeah, that's that's a good life motto there. <laughs> I, I have to ask too. Like you keep saying that, like narratives, the dream. What are some of the things that like made you go? I can't do saxophone. I need to be a part of the entertainment industry well i um gosh i think a lot of that comes from this need to i was always a weird kid i you know i was i read all the time um i i was always being the youngest in my family not just as far as me and my brother are concerned but there's um in my family you know there's my cousins who are almost 20 years older than I am. Mm. And so for the longest period of time, it was just me, my parents, and my grandparents who were, and so it was my parents and my grandparents talking and I would be sitting there reading a book. And so my whole, you know, childhood was about trying to escape in as many ways as possible, reading all these stories, and then that became writing my own stories, and then that became um, being involved in poetry and um, also being queer and trying to figure out my sexuality. There were these TV shows that I was watching that I would see all of these storylines and you know, there's this concept of baiting in television and it's when you have straight characters who they make jokes about being in a relationship but then they never actually are in that relationship and there was this TV show called Supernatural that went for 14 fucking mm-hmm. seasons. Mm-hmm. Is it CW? CW, yep. yes. Oh my god. Fucking love that show. <laughs> I wrote fan fiction for that show for, <laughs> for three years. Um, and that kind of was the solidification of just like wanting to write. And so, um, yeah, I was writing spot <laughs> that became playwriting. Uh, and so then I ended up writing a play my, uh, senior year. Um, that play went to a national competition and ended up winning a silver medal. Oh, I was very, oh my God. Like I was doing all the competitions and like, yeah, it was, it was a lot. Um, but that was kind of the the nail in the, you know, that narrative was just a way for me to express myself, to make people cry, to make people laugh, and, and express what I had inside that I didn't think 
um, was also socially acceptable mm. because they're you know when you're raised in a, a black household when queer you have to code everything and so it's always you know code switching between hey girl how you doing to like you know talking in a, a normal voice and, and being able to you know um, hold a, a reasonable conversation <laughs> um, and so yeah I mean when you have to do that so much, you start to get characters, mm -hmm. you start to find ways to entertain yourself, mm -hmm. um, and you start writing. And so I've, I've been writing as long as I can remember. It's <laughs> such an interesting way to see it. Uh, like you're, you find yourself, I guess, playing, depending on the situation, you find yourself playing a different character. You write those down on paper. And, yeah, and then and eventually then. you have yourself a sketch show. So you're given, let's say, Someone comes up to you and says, I'm going to give you $10 million. What Whoa. story are you going to write? Whoa. Oh, God. Here's $10 million. Here's $10 million. What, what story are you giving me that's worth it? Oh, my God. Um, I don't know. I mean, gosh, I... I think there's this there's this one story. Um, so the, another thing that I grew up with is my grandfather telling a lot of stories, mm. and I've recently been very because they're both in their nineties. I've been very you know uh, trying to document as much as I can and trying to just be very aware that their passing is like eventual. Um, and so when I was growing up, there was a story that he used to tell. Um, and the story goes, you know, my two of my uncles ended up getting into a fight over my great aunt and one uncle stabbed the other uncle in the heart yes and like as they both loved the great aunt yes wow. yeah so one brother stabs the other brother in the heart um my they, i have five i uh, my grandfather is from a family of 13 so it's gonna get a little confusing <laughs> so um the all the brothers and sisters are scrambling around um one of my my great uncles ends up putting his fingers into the knife wound to help stop the bleeding. Oh, so this is in a public setting. This is, or they're, they're like in the they're... middle of the country. So this happened in Bascom, Florida, in that tiny little town, um, in the middle of nowhere. The people were around, like it wasn't just like a private stabbing, it was like... Well, no, it was, I mean, well, the family was around. So you have like, you know... At home. At home. It yeah, happened yeah, yeah, at, at home. home. Oh my yeah. God. So, you know, it was in like the back of the house. Like, yeah. And so this happens, the siblings pile into the car, and at this point, I mean, my, my grandfather was living in L.A. at the time and was married to my grandmother. And so they get a phone call that all this is going down. And so the the young it's the youngest siblings that this is all happening. I think the, the youngest four siblings. And so they all get into the car. They drive an hour, 30 minutes to an hour to um, Mariana, Florida to get to the nearest hospital. They get to that hospital and the doctor was too drunk to be able to, you know, do anything. And so they said, you have to get to the next hospital over in Donaldsonville, which is, yes, yes. Yeah. So then they had to drive an additional hour and a half to get to Donaldsonville, which is actually, if Bascom is here, Mariana is this way, and then Donaldsonville is this way. So you went the opposite way. I didn't, but my, my great uncle said, yeah. Oh so I was so to, in the story. I, was... I know. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and so then they had to drive, you know, however long to get that way. So this has been uh, almost two and a half hours that my, my great uncle is bleeding out in the backseat. Um, and so finally they get to the hospital and they ended up saving his life. And yeah, he lived. Yeah. Well, you know what? Here's 20 million. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> trying to yeah. check over Keelan Bowers. That's that story. I mean, like, I ever since I was a kid, that story is like it has everything. It has sex. It has drama. It has violence. Right. It's just there's definitely yeah. something there, yeah. and yeah. it's personal. And it's personal. Yeah, it's kind of. Yeah.
captivated where me. Where you coming from? All right, well, let's end. Everyone's alive. And uh, we're all healthy here. <laughs> all right, well, thank you, Keelan, for coming on. This is a riveting episode. I loved hearing about the non-scripted world and uh, story. Yeah, well, thank you shook, for having me. Yeah. Shook to my bones. <laughs> Don't be shook to your bones. <laughs> well, thanks so much for coming on the podcast. Yeah, your broadcast you. voice was lovely. I yes. loved hearing your, you through the headphones. Your Warner Brothers studio tour voice. Yeah. I wish we talked about that more. Oh, But sorry. it's okay. Yeah, <laughs> Maybe sorry, next time. I'm sure you have some stories. Yeah, no, there are, yeah. <laughs> thank you, Keelan. This was a fantastic episode. Thank you for coming on, Thank representing you, Temple University. Go out. Love. Um, thank you to my brother Ross for producing. He's currently at Temple. Because like we, all our brothers are uh, helping us out in some ways. Yeah, that's amazing. Know? Except for Tyler. I don't have a brother. <laughs> wow, that's really sad. That's really, you should talk okay. to your parents about that. Yeah, yeah. You should get on that's that. a big problem. I know. Um, all right, well... Thanks for the mailroom where we uh, interview aspiring entertainment industry professionals. We'll see you next time. We're out of here.